So this week, the internet has been all of a flutter with news of a new Aphex Twin EP, as the internet yeah, I saw that. Too. Right. I mean, the, the, the graphic, this kind of collapsing graphic is really cool. It's called the Collapse EP. And what what the announcement, I think the official announcement came out yesterday. I'm, I'm looking at the bleep store on my phone right now. Okay. And what is really interesting about this is that it feels a little bit like 1991 in that this EP is coming out on a limited edition vinyl, then a standard vinyl, then a CD, and then a cassette. So, Ooh. you know, this jives with that. cassettes are back. Yeah, well. <laughs> Just like vinyl is back, you know? So, well, are you aware? Are you familiar with Cassette Store Day? I am. Yes. I don't know yeah. how, um, is that, a, it, is that, does it, does that really happen? Does it take off in the USA? Um, a little bit. I would say mm -hmm. it's record store day times 0.1. You know, they, people aren't lined up around the block like they are mm -hmm. for record store day. Like at music millennium, they're lined up three blocks down the street. They're, they're actually, they're starting now they're by us. They're, they're camping out the night before. Okay. Um, cassette store day you terry is is cool enough to stock everything for cassette store day and you can usually go in a couple days a week later and most of the cassette store day purchases are still there right is it i mean is it the case that cassettes are easier and cheaper to manufacture well probably well, i don't know if they're easier and cheaper anymore um mm. The, I remember, again, back at that point in time, when the CD first came out, I had a couple of friends, uh, one guy worked at Warner's, one guy worked at Universal, and he had said the whole reason they actually embraced the CD format was because cassettes were getting duplicated pretty heavily over in Asia and even over here mm -hmm. because it was so easy to get a, you know, one of those, you know, the, the equipment to dub cassettes. But at mm. that point in time, when was that? Maybe about 1990, 91, 92? No, before first... that, like mid-80s. I mean, I had a... But I, I mean, had... when the first burners came out, when you could buy a burner. Oh, cause oh sorry, I... a CD burner. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah that'd cause... be like early to mid-90s. I mean, I had one yeah, in 97. Yeah, yeah, because I bought that first burner. It was a 1X burner. It was $5,000. Because <laughs> I, I was using it for data backup in the studio. So that's why I used it. Yeah, and and I mean, all the record guys said, mm. "Oh, we're not worried about, um, we're not worried about people pirating CDs because who's going to be an idiot like you, you know, and buy like me and um, buy a five thousand dollar drive and seventeen dollar blanks to dupe a seventeen dollar CD?" Well, you know, little did they know how it would go. Well, that's interesting because when I was a kid in the mid eighties, like pretty much everybody had a tape to tape. They were called in the UK. I don't know why what they were called tape. Oh, here too. They were real popular. But yeah, tape like a double cassette deck, and you could copy yes. cassettes, right? Yeah. So I can I can fully understand why the record labels, music industry would get behind CDs to stop that from happening, because that was in their eyes the death of their income. Sure, because there was a lot of way back, right before the CD really took off, um, mm. cassette sales were as high as album sales. I think that if you look at the data, they, they might have even been higher. I've looked into this. I looked into this year, this year. You're right. You're absolutely right. If if the CD had not come along, see a cassette. Sorry, cassettes would have eaten vinyl sales alive. It's oh sure, think, they already were. 
Yeah, yeah. There, really was, there were like two or three years where cassettes were the number one format, and then CDs came in and ate that lunch. And yeah, I think so. When people talk about CDs, you know, wiping out vinyl, that's not true. It's actually cassettes that were starting to wipe out vinyl. And then there's just this, this bigger fish came along and ate the two smaller fish. And that, that bigger fish was called the CD. Right. Oh, yeah. And, and, I, and I don't know if this is true or not. I mean, I could mm. be just making this up. But <laughs> I, I, I really think one of the things that, that helped CD get as, as, as um, popular as it was, the, the original CD players that you could put in your car were real jumpy. I remember, again, having one of the first Sonys. And I mean, man, you, you drove over a cigarette butt in the street in the CD players, <laughs> you know, but about a year or two later, once they got the, the mobile transports down and everybody, mm. you saw all the cars shift over from cassette decks, probably around eh, 2000, 2001, 2002, all mm. the cars shifted from um, cassette as main to CD. I mean, like, for example, I've got a, I've got a 2000. BMW that's got a cassette deck in the dash, CD mm. changer in the back. I've got a 2001 cassette's gone, CD player in the dash, and that's it. And you know, Mark Levinson did all that stuff. Harmon did all that with Lexus, and that mm. I think because everybody had a CD player in their car, that helped the Exodus go into that format. Because I remember how people used to complain. They're like, eh, twenty bucks for a CD? A record's only nine dollars." And yeah, they were twice. They were twice the price for sure. Yeah. How you know where you were? How was it when you'd go to the music store? Because for me, anyway, I was living in Phoenix at the time, and I remember uh, going to Tower Records, and mm. the the record store was ninety eight percent records with one little thing of C, one little shelf of CDs, and in the course of what seemed like only a few months, it completely flipped around. And, and within a very, very short period of time, Tower Records was all CDs and just a tiny little bit of records. Was it like that for you? I well, what I do remember is that, yes, the thing is, I think this is another format that people have forgotten about, was the Philips, was it called the DCC, the digital cassette? That was really short-lived. Right. Yeah. Well, that that was that came out at the same time as CDs. And for a while in the UK, no one was kind of quite sure which one would take off. So I remember seeing like a rack of DCCs and a rack of CDs. And then the rest of the store, as you say, was vinyl and lots of cassettes, but mainly vinyl, um, more and more cassettes all the time. I think that was the, obviously because, like you say, you could use it at home and also in your car. And they were easy to copy, much easier to, much easier to copy were rather the hardware was cheaper to copy a cassette than it was like to go from a vinyl to a cassette, right? Because then right. you needed a, and that was too much tape. work to go from vinyl to cassette for most people. I mean, I, I think, I mean, again, tell me what you think, but I know us as hi-fi enthusiasts, we, we tend to forget that almost everybody's not as geeky about this stuff as we are. And that almost all, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that almost all music format choices up until just recently have all been aimed at convenience. Uh, fidelity was always just something that kind of happened. That's right. I would absolutely agree with that. It's always okay. a, a convenience always steers the market. 
Always. I mean, there's always going to be the outliers like you or I and the other audio files in the world. But generally, people are motivated by convenience. Well, because you want to take your music with you. I mean, there's yeah, well, there's nothing, no shame in that. There's not at all. I mean, what's the what's the fastest route between me picking something up and then hearing something? And it used to be cassettes, and now it's streaming. Like streaming for me is the is the cassette equivalent of the last twenty years. Or well, ten years, I guess. Streaming has been only been around for ten years, really, hasn't it? But like, I mean, lossy streaming, like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, to me, is like cassettes were back in the eighties. Like, if sure, you're serious sure. And I mean, I mean, I, I'm again, I'm going to guess with you. It's the same with me. You go to somebody's house if you're listening to music or you've got your phone. It's so easy to just say, "Hey, have you heard this?" Blah, and hand it to them. And that's, I mean, you know, for for all the guys that are my age that complain about you know, what's going on right now. Mm. I mean, back when I was in, you know, high school, college, I mean, oh my God, if you could have had 5 million tracks, uh, you know, at your disposal and you could just go to your friend's house and take that along, we, we all would have been all over that. Why wouldn't we, you know, I mean, it's. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it seems like an insane dream now to have access to the world's music for 10 bucks a month. I, I mean, I've, I've just got, I've covered this before, but, you know, I, th I always think that streaming is far too cheap, far too cheap compared well, to. Well, and I'd know. happily, I mean, I'd happily pay more for it if that would, if that would put more money in more artists' pockets. I mean, did you see the thing floating around the last couple of days about Peter Frampton saying, you know, he only got $1,800 yes. for like 12 I, zillion streams and all I that? Did, yeah. You know, I mean, but, I so. But, you know, like, he, I mean, he went to, who did he go to see to complain or to kind of, yeah, I think complain he went to about. Congress, he said. Yeah, I thought that's what he talk said. About his, but the, 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 the number one, the, the thing that's missing from this conversation that's missing from his complaint, and I think I saw a news article today was that only 12% of royalty payments last year landed in artists' pockets. And the reason okay. is it's because of their contracts with their record labels. It's the yeah. rights holders that are taking the lion's share, which is why Peter Frampton's getting a raw deal because he's probably got a shitty contract or rather, you know, into his contract, probably when it was inked, um, obviously streaming would, was never foreseen at that time. Right. So maybe, you know, maybe in his contract, it says like you get 20% for CDs and vinyl, but you only get like 3% for future formats um exactly. hitherto unforeseen you know like it's just the labels are the ones the, the, the labels are the reason artists are not getting paid through streaming it's right. I, I would say it was the major reason i don't think the streaming services are entirely blameless but it's like nobody ever talks about the labels taking the lion's share I well find not it, only that you know here's another point to ponder as well mm. back in the old the old old days even before mm. my old days mm. my understanding was that like say in the 50s like in elvis's time mm -hmm. at that point in time the records were giveaways the records were like giving away a piece of swag to get people to come to the live performance and and mm. artists made their money touring you know which is which is how it is again now but in the 80s well in the 70s 80s and 90s that wasn't the case right well because or an album. You know, Thriller sold what 40 million copies, 30 million copies. Yeah, but, something like that. But even then, only the the really top artists. I remember reading this in Rolling Stone. They were they were talking about because back then they were complaining that the artists weren't making enough money. And 
you know, it's it, it was they said that guys like Michael Jackson, you two were getting, you know, a dollar, a dollar twenty five out of a record sale. Right. You know, yes. so even back then they weren't making crazy money. I remember a friend of mine too had just got it was it was right when Epic got sold to Sony. This guy I've yeah. known this guy for years and years, great musician from Chicago, finally got a record deal. And I said, Wow, dude, you're a rock star. You're gonna be rolling in the dough. And he goes, Well, not really. He goes, mm. They they advance you a certain chunk of money. He said, Then you have to pay for the record. He said, The record costs Fifty to one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars to make. He goes, we're going to get Todd Rundgren as a guest producer, so that's going to cost another hundred thousand dollars. He goes, then we have to make two videos, that's going to cost one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and and. And he said that all comes out of record sales. That's right, and they don't get the record label gets to decide how that money is spent. Exactly, even though it's the artist's money that's eventually being used to pay for it. Yeah. So these guys would, you know, get a huge advance and then find themselves two years down the line in, Broke. yeah, or, or worse, in hot the record label. You know, they owe the artist owes the record label money because the record label, irresponsibly or not, spent big on promotion or on a fancy video or whatever. Because obviously, videos were, you know, much more influential in the eighties. Well, and, and how many cool bands' careers were probably ruined or really sidelined? Because they put all this work into a record, and for whatever reason, the suits just didn't promote it. So I remember, like in the eighties and nineties, even a fairly average band, if they made a record and they put it out on LP, so vinyl, sorry, cassette and CD, and then toured it, it would be the tour that promoted the record. Always. Oh, back then, but now the the opposite is true. Right. So it's the it's the streaming service because they're not going to make any money from streaming. It's the streaming that gets kids into venues to pay for a concert. So that's and where they make the money or an album and a T-shirt. I mean, they're making I mean, yeah. I've talked to a couple of smaller musicians here that have said they on a good night, they make just as much money selling merch as they do selling CDs or selling what they get from the the ticket sales. Yeah, and and you know what? As much as I as as cool of a cat as I think Peter Frampton is, I'm like, dude, you you made Frampton comes alive. You made one of the two records that changed the music industry, and you toured that for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. You sold a zillion copies. My God, you should have put a little bit of cash away for a rainy day. And I'm sure he has. I mean, I'm sure he's not starving, but. Well, it's not only that, but he needs to go back and look at his contract. I mean, obviously, he's probably not in a position. Well, I say obviously. He's probably not in a position to renegotiate that contract. But at least he could get to the bottom of the the matter and and work out whether the contract is causing these low payments or not. Because otherwise, you know, the way that story is written, again, it demonizes these streaming services. I'm not saying they're entirely blameless, but I'm saying that the labels, the rights holders – play a part in all of this and they're never mentioned in these conversations it's always streaming doesn't pay artists that's always the headline it's never right. streaming doesn't pay rights holders who in turn don't pay artists because that's not as catchy is it and it's not well not only that john think about this think about when all of this stuff first came out mm-hmm. what five six eight years ago yeah, what, were years the, ago. Were, yeah. what were the words out of everyone's mouth oh that's stupid Oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, I, and I have to believe 
that people like the Spotify people and title people and all of that made a substantial investment in hardware upfront mm. to make this go. And so if, if nobody, ex I mean, if everybody would have come out of the shoot going, yeah, that's awesome. I'll pay a hundred bucks a month for that. I, maybe the revenue model might've been different, but you know, it, it's, and, and I'm sure most of the artists said, you know, you know, oh, that's stupid. That'll never go anywhere. It's like, well, duh, you know, you pay the price for not adapting with the times. I, dude, yes. I remember when Photoshop came out, I was in mm. a camera store talking to one of the bigger photographers in town in Phoenix where I lived. And I said, hey, what do you think about all this cool Photoshop stuff? Oh, that's stupid. That's a fad. It'll never catch on. Yeah. Famous so, last world. Well, that's usually and great. And those same people are going, oh, boohoo, I can't make a living because things are digital. So it's I I put the blame on both sides. I don't I don't really blame the streaming guys. They just made it. You know what? It's like audio gone. Okay. Everybody mm. goes, oh, I hate audio gone. And it's like, well, if all the hi-fi dealers would have embraced selling pre-owned gear, there'd be no audio gone. So Um, but yeah, we're, we're, today we're talking about music formats. Yes. And, you know, like as audiophiles, audiophiles like to get behind some of the most weird. I would say, well, yeah, wacky, weird shit or the stuff that you kind of, they, they, they do tend, have a tendency to talk it up or not to, or have, they have a, a lack of awareness as to how big their favorite format or, you know, their, format they're infusing about how they, they don't seem to understand how small or how niche it is because they live in their audiophile bubble with their audio friends and they think it's bigger than it is so like i mean the classic one is dsd oh. i mean when i started writing about audio in 2010 that was uh, it probably hadn't just come out but it was it was in its and i say ascendancy in the loosest possible way because it was just part of the audiophile conversation it was apparently i mean i was new it was apparently going to be the next big digital format and you know you go to audio shows and consumers were asking manufacturers you know does your new dac do dsd yes because it was going to take off and it never did and we're like eight years later and the library size is still painfully small but Audiophiles seem to be quite happy with that, as long as you know the, the same old titles are available, and you got Rebecca Pigeon and Diana Krall comes out on DSD, and therefore they think it's a success. But it's it's not, and it and I gotta say it never will be because it's too dark. No, it's too hard. Yeah, it's too hard. I can't take that with me. You know, and right. and you know when and, and I'll I will go on record saying that I really don't care about DSD at all. I have I have about eight DSD files that Renee from Nagra's done mm. that are beautiful. They are yeah. exquisite. They're the the most wonderful sounding things I've heard. He's he's an amazing he's he's an amazing engineer. Mm. But you know I've got how many let's see how many CDs are ripped on my NAS Oh, about fourteen thousand. How many more? How many more files do I have on title? Oh, probably about another four thousand. So, you know, to really care about DSD is a deal breaker. 
And and this is the thing I never understand. I mean, I have a good friend that he's our he's our our music encyclopedia guy. Tom mm. has the coolest record collection of any human being I've ever met, but he's got, you know, he's got 20 pressings of everything. And, you know, <laughs> you know, so for me, I would, if it were me, I would be happy having the one super awesome pressing for when the lights are down low and I can really focus on listening to music hundred mm. percent and the daily driver, the record I listen to every day, just cause I love the record. And now mm. even that for the most part gets superseded by title because why should I wear out an $8,000 phono cartridge to just do background listening? Title's awesome for that. So I, I don't understand the audiophile compulsion to have 20 copies of something, especially when you don't like how the other 18 sound anyway. Well, yeah. I always, I'm of the mindset, if you're going to buy something, use it and enjoy it. Don't buy something and then do be too afraid to use it. And I think exactly. it's, there's a psychology behind this, isn't there? I mean, I, I, the Japanese are famous for this. They'll buy vinyl records and they'll play them once. And that first play, they'll rip them to a hard drive perhaps maybe even using dsd actually probably so they'll use an archive format for that and then they'll 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 seal the record in a nice cellophane sleeve and they'll put it on the shelf and they probably won't ever play it again but it's pride of ownership and then if they want to listen to it they've got a nice carbon copy because effectively it is a carbon copy sure. on their computer they play it through a deck and they enjoy it that way but they don't really enjoy things and, you know, you know, enjoying things like, you know, when you've got a favorite pair of jeans or a favorite pair, a favorite pair of shoes, you, right. you, you think, I'm not going to wear those because I don't want to wear them out. No, you wear them. You enjoy them. You, you, I mean, for me, that's how I, I, I like to live life. <clears throat> I'm not too afraid to wear things out. And because there's always going to be something else to buy afterwards to replace oh, it. Oh, sure. Right? Exactly. There's always going to be something better. Exactly. So, you know, I think... As an archive format, DSD is pretty useful in that respect. It's also, I think, for some audiophiles, pretty useful as an upsampling format. So sure. in the back end of Rune, you can upsample Redbook to DSD if you want to. You can also do it with HQ Player. So some you know, some guys like the sound of it upsampled. So they, everything that they push into their DAC is pre-upsampled at the, at the server level and then spun into their DAC as DSD, and they, they enjoy the sound that way. But as a... As a format for delivering music from the internet, it sucks. <laughs> it's well, sure. And you know what? Expensive. I don't want to buy the damn record again. Right. You know? I, I, it, no, I've already bought six copies of Fleetwood Mac Rumors. I'm not buying it again. Right. And if it's, you know, 20, if it's 25 bucks, which it usually is, if it's 25 bucks, I'm going to buy the record because it's, I've got something tangible. And that's, again, that's me. But I think a lot of people um feel that way and i'll give you an example of this you know this i think this speaks to um the records sorry the cassette store day that we opened with so the guy that um one of the guys that works at my local coffee shop on the corner here he's really into synthwave music okay and occasionally i'll go in after i bought a few records and he'll ask me what i bought from my local store and he tells me now that he's into buying cassettes like he's he's like 22 He's into buying cassettes. Like he probably doesn't even remember the first wave of cassettes. I said I'm to him, sure not. do you have a cassette player? He's like, no, I don't have one. I just buy them because I like to own them. There's a pride of ownership and I just like buying them. And I, to me, and this is why I guess I asked whether they were cheaper to make is because, you know, do you remember, I don't, I don't know whether they still go on or not. 
zine fairs, you know, where people would make zines. Oh, and yeah. They totally. would go, right. I see the cassette, um, the cassette store day thing as a bit like a zine fair. Like people have got these sort of like homebrew cassettes, not bootlegs. I mean, it's their own music. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? totally. It's, like, it's like that, isn't it? That's how I sure. see it. Well, and because, again, you know, cost of a, a cost of a DSD workstation is what? About a million dollars. Um, a couple of clean cassette decks. Yeah. That probably cost you about 800 bucks on a good day. Right. So sure. So as long as you, it's you, kind you, of a DIY punk rock kind of thing. Well, I've, yeah, I think that's their appeal, isn't it? I mean, I don't know what supply is like for blank cassettes. I know you can buy almost minimal. There's almost right. nothing. There's one company out there that's going to start making them again. So you're, you're, you're forced to buy used cassettes or yeah. I, mean, I had when, when Music Millennium was closing out blank cassettes yeah. about 10 years ago, they were selling cases of Maxell UDXL 2s. Yeah. 10 cassettes, five bucks. Now they'd be worth what, what 50 bucks, 100 oh, bucks, maybe way more. more than that. I right. went in, I spent $500 on tape. <laughs> Because I said this is going to be worth something someday. Wow! I just sold five boxes of UDXL ones to a guy on eBay for five seventy nine. Wow! I'd never make that kind of money on the stock market. No, you and, wouldn't. You know, so and I still have a shitload of tapes. So I mean, I can make mixtapes until the cows come home. I've got right. more than enough. But. Um, If somebody is getting back into the cassette thing, yeah. um, what what they really need to know is that buying a cassette deck is like buying a vintage car. It's going to be about a five hundred to fifteen hundred dollar investment if you want it to work. Mm -hmm. um, more than likely. Um, and, the, and there's not a ton, I don't know about over there, but over here, there's only a small handful of people that actually still service them. Mm -hmm. So what, because a, a tape deck has a lot of rubber parts in it, belts and yeah, crap yeah. like that. Yeah. So in order to get a decent cassette experience, more than likely, whatever cassette deck you're going to buy. And I would, I would suggest Tiak or Nakamichi only because they're still being serviced. Right. And Plan on spending, say, two to five hundred dollars on a deck, and plan on spending about two to five hundred dollars on a tune-up to get everything, to get all the rubber parts fixed, to get it brought back up to spec. Um, you can buy cassette decks for $129 on eBay. They're going to be problematic. So you, not, you know, it's it's, you it's almost like if you're a guy buying an old, like say you want to buy an old Dynaco Stereo seventy. Mm -hmm. you're, there, there is no three hundred dollar Dynaco Stereo seventy. By the time you get them working right, they're a thousand bucks. So I would say if you really, really want to do the cassette deck thing, I, I can't imagine un, un, unless you're just again the luckiest person on earth. Plan on that being about a five hundred two thousand dollar commitment so that that works on a regular basis and it's enjoyable. Otherwise you're going to have problems. But so you, but that's, that's the only thing I would add. Not that I want to put water on anyone's campfire, but that's reality. 
Well, I mean, I'll piss a little bit harder on that campfire if if, if you'll let me. It's just that if you're sure. if you're spending a grand on a tape deck, right? You're the kind of guy or girl that's into sound quality quite more than likely. So why would you buy a cassette deck if you could just get one? Because they sound. If you get a good one, they sound really good. Right. Okay. Oh, they, they do. Okay. But I, I mean, but I'm not even talking about sound quality. I'm just talking about the mechanical aspect sure. of the damn thing working right because all of these decks are at least 30 years old mm. and they they just need to be serviced so so they'll work i mean so they the tape won't jam when you put it in mm -hmm. i mean more than likely the heads are out of alignment uh the belts are either broken or cracked um the capstans and stuff you know some of that it, it all needs to be it just needs a tune-up it's like if you found an old car in a barn somewhere you wouldn't be able to just start it up. You'd have to take it into a mechanic and get a certain amount of things done so it'll run. Most cassette decks, you know, they're just they're mechanical devices. Right. So they're 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 it's it's like the guys buying it's like reel to reel, same thing. Bottom line for a basic reel to reel deck, you're probably looking at about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars because you can usually buy a halfway decent if you're in reel to reel world. I would suggest a re again a Revox, a Tascam, something like TX Tascam, something like that, because you can get a deck for five hundred to a thousand dollars, and then it's going to have to go in and be serviced. It will have to be cleaned, adjusted, rubber parts replaced, mm -hmm. lubricated, calibrated, all of that. And there just there aren't that many people that do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And and the handful of people that do it are really good. They're backed up. I mean, there's a guy in California. Willie Herman Services. He does. He's the one of the top guys on on the planet for Nakamichi. He's mm. an ex Nakamichi tech. Um, you know, I talked to him the other day. He said, "Yeah, I'm backed up nine months." Wow. So, I mean, I just got it. I just got another Nakamichi deck from a friend of mine, mm. and I called Willie, and he goes, "Yeah, I'll be able to get you in in April." He goes, "I got you in the queue for April." So, that's that's part of it too. I mean, you again, you you. The chances of finding an awesome cassette deck, unless you find one that somebody did have the work done and they've just lost interest in the format and you can get it for four or $500, awesome. But if you're just buying an off-the-rack reel-to-reel or cassette tape deck, it's going to have to be serviced or you're going to have problems, guaranteed. But you don't think the people that are driving the cassette deck, sorry, the cassette revival are a bit like the guys that are driving the vinyl revival in that they've got these kind of like 80s and 90s mini systems. You remember those, like the all-in-ones? And they're using the, the turntable on the top to play the vinyl, and they've got the, kind of, they've kind of got the double cassette windows down the bottom thinking, right, I can, I can play cassettes with this. So this is, I'll buy some cassettes and use that thing. Yeah, so. I mean, again, that's the guy who's buying a $200 turntable and buying dollar records at the thrift store. Well, see, I think the guys that are buying like two hundred dollar turntables are also the same. The same the guys that are buying the same music as I do, they're buying like just normal records from the store. They take them home and playing them on a fairly basic turntable, and they enjoy it because of the experience. I don't think that they're in, in it for the sound quality at all. And I think it's the same with cassette tapes. I'm guessing it's my best guess. I mean, I, I can't know everybody in the universe, but I'm willing to bet like the guy in my the, the barista in my in my coffee shop. I, I, I actually don't think he said he has a cassette deck, but if he buys one, it ain't going to be some thousand dollar reconditioned Nakamichi. It's going to be something part of a, an old, 
I don't know, like Sony Mini system or something like that from the 80s and 90s. Well, the pro- like I said, the problem is, is it just, it physically won't work after a certain period of True. time because yeah. These, yeah. The, the mechanical mechanisms in all of these decks have broken down. Right. And those, those decks that are in the little mini system and stuff, there just aren't any parts left. Mm. I mean, there aren't any parts left and there aren't anybody left. There isn't, there isn't anyone left that can do the service. Sure. I mean, the only reason I say... Tiak and Nakamichi is because there's still a cache of parts left right. and there's still a handful of techs that can work on it. I mean, again, in the old days, you would take your, your Sony mini desk or uh, mini system in and it would cost you 50 bucks for a service and you'd be back and, and, right. you know, I mean, again, this is like, if you, if you take a, you know, you take a Toyota Camry to the dealer and they have a special for a tune up and it's $199 because there's 50 million Camrys out there. Yes. You take a 73 BMW 2002 TII in for a service, it's four grand because right. there's no parts and there's only eight guys that can work on it. Sure. So it's that's kind of where the, I, I guess what I'm trying, again, what I'm trying to say and not too long of a thing is don't get false hope on the cassette thing because again, mm. it's just, they're just mechanical devices that have deteriorated substantially over 35 years. That's all. And also, I guess the other big thing is that there's no product. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of any new production cassette decks. Come, nope, there isn't the anything. And, and, and again, with the cassette deck thing, most of what you're looking at, just like the reel to reel, most of what you're looking at to get them brought back to spec is labor. So you're better off. I mean, let's say, for example, you can, you can buy, a hundred dollar Nakamichi cassette deck out on eBay, or you can buy a six or seven hundred dollar Nakamichi cassette deck. Both of those decks are going to cost five hundred dollars to get service, mm-hmm. three to five hundred to get service. So you, if you can afford it, you're better off getting the better deck because you'll have a much better product when it's done. Right. And should you decide the cassettes aren't for you, the better deck will command a much better high much higher resale should you decide cassettes aren't for you right, whereas that that hundred dollar nakamichi that you put five hundred dollars in will still be worth a hundred dollars on ebay when you go to sell it but if you buy a six or seven hundred dollar nakamichi and you pay willie herman five hundred dollars to service it and you keep the receipt that deck will be worth a thousand dollars or twelve hundred if you decide cassettes are no more for you so that's it's i guess that's the way i'd approach it it's funny to hear you talk about nakamichi so much because when i was like when i were a lad when you know when i was when i was like like 12 years old or 14 years old nakamichi was the holy grail of cassette decks and 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 dubbing from vinyl like that was you'd had that you had had metal like cassette tapes that was like the ultimate because you couldn't afford to buy too many records but I mean, but I, you could, I would you could ne- copy your friend's records. Yeah. We were still sharing files, right? So it's a bit like you spending like five grand on the one-time CD burner when it came out. You know, it's that it's that, right. that kind of mentality. But I obviously, when I was fourteen, I, I don't know, I even know how much a, a Nakamichi would have been, but it would have been like anywhere maybe a, from five hundred to about two thousand bucks. Yeah, I was going to say a thousand pounds because I was in the UK at the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. here's what we're going to do, dude. This is <laughs> this is my Christmas present to you early. Well, it may not show up till Christmas. <laughs> I've got a pair of really nice mm-hmm. uh, Tascams that need service. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get one serviced for you and I'm going to send it over to you mm-hmm. and you can play with it for a little while and see what you think. See if the, if the cassette bug is fun for you. And if it isn't, give it to a friend, you know, it's, it's that easy. Well, I'd li- and- I mean, I guess the, the big thing about 
cassette tapes and we haven't mentioned this at all so far is the is the mixtape and making that for friends or for girlfriends or for girls that you wanted to date you know like you'd make them a mixtape oh, that was the, that was that was the ultimate expression of love it was, back for in me the that 80s. was the ultimate in any enjoyment i ever had with music was making a cassette tape yes it, it was yes. just the best but but i'll send you the deck right. and it's probably going to take a couple months I'll send you the deck and I'll send you a case of tape too. So you can have That's fun. Awesome. You can make some mixtapes and you know, you'll either dig it or you won't. You know what I think, John, I think playing to what you just said, mm -hmm. I think part of this too is, I think, again, I'm I'm just I'm just pontificating here, but I mm -hmm. think I just think there's a certain segment of audiophile types and even music consumers. People just want that thing that's different, you know. They yes. they want that thing yes. that somebody else doesn't have. If if everybody got if DSD was the standard tomorrow and everybody could have a thousand titles in DSD free mm -hmm. and they could have free DSD capable DAC, somebody would come out with a new format three months later and then everybody would want that and they'd go, oh, DSD sucks. We're getting XYZ now because that's the cool thing. Even if it was like, even if, like, imagine imagine all of Redbook was wiped out, right? And right. then and uh, the entire world's music supply was switched over overnight to DSD. There were people would start fetishizing Old yes. red book rips. Oh, I've got a red book ripper. That it sounds much better. It's much more. It's much snappier yes. than my DSD. You're right. It's yes. it's a point of difference. It's bragging rights. It's like I've got what you don't have. Yes, that's exactly. all it is. It's like it's the same with cassettes. It's the same with vinyl. That's the, that's the core mentality behind it. It's nothing to do with sound quality. Oh, and and you know, in the reel to reel thing, the tape thing. I mean, I see the. I was always a cassette guy more than a reel to reel guy. Re even back in the day, reel to reel was just too fiddly. You know, it was too much dicking around. You know, the the reel to reel, the open reel thing mm. is, it's like a real high end turntable. Okay, right. it's really cool, but there's no software. I mean, there's right. a there's a friend of mine in Florida. Um, what is his what is his hi-fi store um he is selling he's bringing in this line of tapes um let me check this out because I, I, I would like to give him a five second plug sure um he's bringing in and and you know that i'm not a big classical music guy i know that you know? neither am um, i yeah but he okay his his dealer it's called let there be sound it's just mm -hmm. let there be sound.com he's in florida mm -hmm. and he's bringing in a line of tapes from russia mm -hmm. and he sent me one and i i don't have one of these really geeked out you know $20,000 tape machines with a $20,000 you know doshi head preamp or anything i just have like a basic $1,500 Tascam that was cleaned up and tuned up and lined up. And he sent me, it's, it's from, it's from Zavalinka records in Russia. Mm. Mm. And they're doing the tapes are about, I think they're going to be about 375 a piece. Wow. Uh, 
It's all open reel, recently recorded classical stuff. And John, I got to tell you, it was unbelievably good. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never heard a violin sound that realistic on my system. It was tremendous. But again, I mean, there's such a barrier to entry for something like that. I mean, it's really cool. And what am I, what am I going to do? Um, you know, I mean, again, you and I, I think are the same in the sense that we both, though our tastes vary, we both really enjoy music a lot and enjoy yes. listening to a lot of different music a lot. Hmm. So for me to just have this little pile of 10 tapes to listen to, yeah. You know, that for me, that's not an engaging enough experience. Not at all. No. And I think also, I mean, imagine if you could go out and tomorrow and buy a reel to reel, right? And imagine it would cost like 200 bucks and so nothing too, too outrageous. And also imagine if the software, so that the actual, the tapes themselves were like 20 bucks, the same as a piece of vinyl. It wouldn't, it, it would still would never take off. It would never become a mainstream format because they're fiddly. It's too fiddly. Where do you store them? And, you know, it's like, oh, you got to change it for each album. So yeah, audio files would be into it. But just because a whole bunch, let's say let's say 50% of audio files are into this whatever format, that doesn't make it a mainstream format, not even by a long shot. Mainstream you know? format <laughs> means I can get that new Aphex Twin yes. record yes. on an open reel tape. That's, so that's a mainstream format. So there's an irony, isn't it? I mean, cassettes are now a mainstream format again because you can buy that new Aphex Twin EP on on cassette and you won't better get it on real to real i don't know if i'll go quite that far with it but it, it <laughs> is getting it is getting um you know it is getting some it is getting some play unfortunately so far the new pre-recorded cassettes just the couple that i've managed yeah. to pick up mm -hmm. um the, the quality's been pretty varied yeah um, right i got the i got the um what was it uh come on i'm losing it I got, oh, I got the Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape just because, okay. <laughs> you know, just just for shits and giggles because I love the movie and I thought mm. it was so funny that he had that first generation Walkman. Did you see where the the? You probably didn't because you're not as nerdy as I am. But that Walkman that he used in that movie, mm -hmm. when that movie broke the next week, those Walkmen that were going for eight bucks a month before that. Mm -hmm. We're going for a thousand, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars a pop wow. because everybody wanted that Walkman. So. so, Jeff, what do you think? I mean, what are mainstream formats for you right now? I'm not audio, not audio file formats, but really for streaming, dude. That's that's you it. Know, I mean, I'd say I'd say streaming and vinyl, really. Right. Um, and what I what I'm starting to do a little bit, just because I still have a pretty good actual digital disc player mm -hmm. um, and and much to go in the face of conventional wisdom dude i i, I know this is a shameless self-promote promotion for dcs but i still think playing a disc sounds better than streaming a file on the dcs i mean it's not night and day but it's it's a, just a touch to me it still sounds a touch more natural so I've been, it's kind of like when vinyl tanked in the late eighties mm -hmm. and you could go to the record store and you could spend a couple hundred dollars and come home with a whole crate full of music. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of back buying CDs again a little bit because the, the, they've kind of peaked or, or they've kind of dipped around here in price. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, there's still there's still that handful of music that Tidal and Spotify aren't streaming. Right. And and that's for me, that's kind of the stuff I've been looking for. Just if there's an artist that I like and I know I can't find it on on Tidal, you know, I'm I'm going back and doing the CD thing because it's I mean, every now and then all of this stuff takes a dump and it doesn't work. And sometimes it's just being being IT challenged. Sometimes it's just nice to push play. So do you and think, do you, do you perceive CDs as still a mainstream format or not? You know, I don't think so. I mean, music is still being released on CD. I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know what the numbers are for CD anymore. Like, well, like I did actually see um, a couple of figures last week. This is for the UK. And okay. CDs are still outselling vinyl records in the UK 10 to 1. And I was quite yeah, su- I was that... quite surprised by that because you know no everyone's talking about the death of the CD not everyone but like many people are talking about the death death of the CD I know that sales are in you know in sharp decline but I think from what I can tell most music releases still come out on CD I mean if I want to find right. something I, actually this is the kind of the acid test for me a lot sometimes things that some of the really obscure stuff that I like doesn't make it to streaming services. Right, but I, but I can usually find the CD, and right. then rip it. And I'm, but and also, yeah. As an aside, I'm also with you on CD transport into a DAC. Will, ju- you know, will pip streaming to the post in terms of sound quality. Okay, but I agree with you on that. But I don't know. I've never done. I, I mean, I never had CDs. I've not had CDs for many years. Well, I've had some, but they've always been in storage. But. I just use the just use the rips now. The CDs are, t- are too much of a pain in the ass to own, mind you. Says the guy who sat in front of like a few hundred records in my lounge room here. So, you know, like I buy records instead. <laughs> so that's that. That's my physical format of choice because I enjoy collecting them more than I enjoy collecting CDs. But I bet you. No, like, I, I get yeah. it. And and you know you know speaking of that about enjoying the record opposed mm. to the CD. There's one trend for a while that was going on and I don't think it's it's as much. Um, the one thing that used to really annoy me for a while in the transition period where they would take the CD jacket layout and put that on the vinyl so that it was like the type was one point and I'm going, come on, you got this big 12 by 12 canvas. Give me some big, you know, in the old days, they shrunk the, album lay, layout to fit on a CD. Now they just blow up the CD. So it's nice to see that that's kind of finally come full circle mm. and the stuff that you really love about a record. But, you know, I hate to say this, and I know it's probably blasphemous to the vinyl faithful, but, you know, all of that shit never really mattered to me. I mean, I honestly, I love being able to listen to a piece of music and go to Google and, and I mean, and that's why I like Rune so much because, you know, mm. Rune was kind of that shortcut to see who's on the record is, you know, yeah. shortcut to liner notes. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, um, so, so, yeah. so while we're doing blasphemy to the vinyl crowd, I'm going to say yes. something which I've said before, but I'll say it again, is that oh, I've got to qualify this really. So I've got a Technics turntable, the SL 1200 G it's got nice autophon to M black on it. So it's a long way from like basic little turntable or like $50 Amazon. It's a long way. So you would expect a turntable like this to make good on the promise made by 
audio files made by the mainstream press or forever talking about rich and warm and detail and crisp. And they use all these words that they just trot them out every time. You would think that this turntable combo that I've got would sound considerably better than any of my DACs and streamers. And it, nope. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Nope. And it, that's dude, the, the, all the, there are so many, and I I'm guessing, tell me if you agree. Mm. I think there are so many great decks out there for about eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars. Yeah. Comparing that to say what you can get for a thousand dollars in terms of turntable, cartridge, and phono preamp for a thousand dollars, not even close. Uh and. 10 years ago, a $1,000 DAC was rubbish. Right. Okay. But right. Not anymore. No, not I mean, at all. Not anymore. It's gotten, it's the stuff's gotten really good. And I mean, I, I caught myself, I, I would say the minimum number, if you were going to, if you wanted some vinyl mm. that was going to give you a more compelling sound than, say, your average $1,000 DAC, mm. and this is just, Jeff and Tone Audio's highly biased personal opinion, <laughs> but I think I think 3K is the number. You know, if you yeah, were to buy right. something like Riga P6, the tables we just had in the last issue, like mm. a Riga P6, Techniques 1200, that new Mofi mm -hmm. Ultra Deck, yeah, yeah, and nice. a really yeah. nice thousand dollar Phono Pre, mm. that's getting you to for me. That's getting me to the point where I'm going, wow, I'm hearing a difference between. And I'm not saying better or worse. I'm saying different. Yes, I'm yes. I'm starting to hear yeah. all that stuff that people that love analog are hearing. Yeah, and but I know I even. I'm going to get emails now from people saying, well, it's because you're not playing the right record. You have to get the, the 1978, you know, first stamper by this label, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, but you're not going to hear that on a thousand dollar turntable. You're just not. But, I'm, and but I guess what I'm doing, Jeff, is I'm coming at this from, from a, the guy that buys modern day records, right? I'm not, yes. on a, I'm not on about the seventies pressings and I'm not on about thrift shop digging because generally they turn up shit anyway. Is yes. it all about going to a store? Can I go to a store now? And like I buy a bunch of records and I take them home and I buy a thousand dollar turntable and a $500 car and a $500 final stage. And I set it all up. And if I'm only interested in sound quality, I am going to feel let down. If I'm only interested yes. in sound quality and the, and the whole experience, like, People will be writing me like, but yeah, the sleeves and the, the experience. Yeah, I get all that. I get all that. But in terms of in sound quality, it's it, I, it's just such a disappointment relative well, to the amount of more hyper. bad news. Go on then. Here's some more bad news. Um, <laughs> it's 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 unfortunate. It's wacky. Okay, mm. I've been working. Do you know my buddy Richard Mack from Canada? Like the the analog guru, the guy that's like. I'm sorry, I don't know. I've not. I've never met okay. the guy. He's developed a software program and set of tools called Analog Magic. Mm -hmm. The Analog Magic suite will cost, I think it's $800. And then you really need a Smart Tractor Protractor, which is another seven or $800. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're a dealer or if you're somebody who has a lot of high-end tables or you've mm -hmm. got a group of buddies that you can all go in on it, this will allow you to set a turntable up. I've never been able to set up a turntable to this level of precision. Mm -hmm. And the weird irony is that I took my little $300 Techniques SL1100 that I bought on eBay, mm -hmm. $150 
Audio-Technica cartridge. Mm. And when I ran this, you know, I used the Techniques gives you this little alignment jig with it. Like, yep. you know, like Riga does, like yep. DPI does, whatever. One, yeah. And <clears throat> when I set this thing up with that, mm. and then I set it up with Analog Magic, by geeking it out as much as you can, it's mm. amazing how much performance you can get from a very inexpensive turntable. Mm. But nobody that's going to buy a $400 turntable is going to buy $1,500 worth of tools to set their table up. Right. That's and, that's, that's where and, it falls. I guess that's where yeah. the whole thing falls over, isn't it? Because people, there's always a but. But if you buy this rare pressing, but if you buy this $2,000 setup tool, right? But for most people- You just... made the perfect point. You yeah. actually made the perfect point. What's the average baseline experience? The average yes. guy that just goes and buys some records. Yeah. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, it's that's the- I think it's you just- know, that's the That's kind of the sad part of it. You know, it's not, and, and again, if you're listening to, you know, I know all the, all the forum guys, all the Facebook guys, they all get instantly cranky. Like, I don't know if you had that bumper sticker over there, but we used to have this bumper sticker here in America <laughs> in the late nineties that said, I can go from zero to bitch in four seconds. And <laughs> that's kind of what happens. They go from zero to bitch in four seconds. They're like, cause everybody wants to defend their choice, right? Yeah, that's right. Because they've, and it's a choice that they have made consistently for decades, right? Right. So and again, that's a, that's a tough pill for them to swallow to hear somebody well, and say- You know what? You know what these audiophile people, guys, girls, non-gender specific human beings don't, don't get about this is it's like, that doesn't mean your experience isn't valid and it doesn't mean you're not having fun. Yes. Okay. That the, all of those things are fine. If you're having fun and you're enjoying it and you're, you're listening to music, that's totally cool. But mm. if you want it to sound the way it really, to, if, if you want that majestic analog magic, mm. it's going to cost money. And the thing is, the, the other good news on the other side of that is if you get yourself an old vintage, say a vintage Marantz receiver and a, you know, a vintage pair of JBLs or whatever, everything's going to sound equally great on that. So in a lot of levels, you don't need to fiddle about it. I mean, mm. I, I, I see these guys on forums and on Facebook and, you know, one guy was arguing about, you know, where to set the tracking force on his $90 cartridge. And he's like, well, I have mine set at 190.92. And the other guy goes, oh, no, you know, 1.89. And I'm going, dude, you've got a $300 turntable and a $100 cartridge. You can't hear the difference between Damn four one hundred yeah. thousandths yeah. of a gram tracking force. I can't hear that on my turntables, you know. And so they're, 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 they're kind of sucking the fun out of the room. It's like, just put a fucking record on and enjoy it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but I think that speaks to the point that I was making earlier on is that, you know, audiophiles need to be aware of that their experience is not everybody else's experience. So their, main, their you know, go-to format that all their mates are into has no relevance to the, you know, to the, to the mainstreamers living outside of the audiophile bubble. And so, you know, just because you've had a great experience with vinyl and wouldn't do anything else and, you know, you sleep next to your vinyl collection, it doesn't mean that everybody else is going to have the same experience in buying a, you know, they go to their dealer and they go and buy a Riga or a project, a grand, and they think they're spending a fortune, right? These guys, right? Think, right? And it's, it's a lot of money to them. And they really think, they go, and I really think, 
And my concern is this, is that the mainstream media, audiophile media, are setting them up for a fall. Yes. Unless that, sorry, I need to qualify that again so I don't get like tons of hate mail, is yeah. if their main aim is to maximize sound quality. Because if you've got a grand to spend, go and buy a Cord Mojo and hook it up to a computer. You'll get a much, in terms of sound quality, you'll get a much better result. You won't get the sleeves. You won't get the shopping experience. You won't get any of that nice stuff. And as I think some somebody wrote on Twitter, um, re, I think it was last month, the, uh, there was a woman who said, the one thing I like about vinyl is that when I play music, it's not networked, which I thought was really quite nice. So I can definitely see all of these other advantages to vinyl but sound quality as you say you've got to spend mega money and i i mean i had one of those uh, reviewed one of those project extension 10 tables a few right. years ago now that was that that kind of showed to me even with the records that i buy aha uh-huh, this is something very special something very different but it was i don't know like four, four grand the cartridge was another grand. The phono stage was on probably another two grand. So I was in for like almost, oh, yeah. almost 10, right? Um, you know, and honestly, John, for me, that's the magic number. I caught myself saying that at dinner the other night. Right. One of my friends said, he goes, hey, man, you're a stereo guy. He goes, I'm thinking about, you know, getting back into vinyl mm. and, you know, this and that. He goes, what do I really need to spend to really get into it? I said, 10K. I said, yeah. you need a good table for about four or five you need about $2,000 cartridge. You need about two or $3,000 phone preamp. And I said, quite honestly, if you were to buy 10K worth of used turntable phono preamp and then a nice new cartridge, I said, you'd be amazed at what you're going to get. But I said, for me, that's kind of the point of entry to, right. to, really, to really get engaged to the point where vinyl takes your breath away. I mean, you can have fun playing records for 300 bucks, mm. but those are two completely different equally valid experiences and that's you know for me that's always my disappointment with so many people out there in audiophile land it's like you have to understand that your choice whatever your choice is it's valid Mm. It, it, it doesn't mean that because maybe i don't want your choice or i would pick something else it doesn't mean what you have sucks it just means that's not how i'm doing it Right. Yeah. I mean, just because something else is not what you like doesn't mean it's not cool for somebody else. I mean, it's something for everybody. Here's the best example. Somebody put this up on Facebook the other day and I laughed so hard. (laughs) The guy said, just to prove you'll all argue about everything, here's a picture of a rock. And it had 400 comments about people arguing about it. And, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> but also, if, you, if you're spending 10 grand on a vinyl front end, you can also need to spend probably like three times that amount on amp and speakers to go with it. And probably Pretty have much. a little bit of room treatment as well. So you could, so you don't lose it in room reflections because that can also ruin Well, it. again, it's like a, you know me, I'm the car guy. It's like a decent car. You know, if you have a Camry or you have a Kia and you put cheap tires on it, you really can't tell the difference. Right. But if you have yeah. a Porsche or you have something like that, you got to get good tires. Mm. You have to, now instead of getting the $39 front end alignment, you go in for the $200 four wheel alignment mm. and you can tell it, it's like setting VTA up on a turntable. You can tell it instantly. So it, it is about resolution. You know, it really, it really is about resolution. Mm. And you, 
I think for a lot of people, my advice is always to, you know, it's kind of that know yourself thing. Know how mental mm. it's going to make you because it's, it's, it, it, it has the potential to take you to bliss, but it also has the tendency, it always has the potential to drive you to madness and where, yeah. you know, where do you want to go? And I, and I mean, and I hate seeing people frustrated with it, you know, yeah, where they yeah. go, Oh yeah, I spent all that money on the turntable and it, and it still sucks. And, uh, you know, and to well, me, I mean, then, then we're failing everybody because now people aren't listening to music. If, if the thing that you have doesn't work, you're, you're back to, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody with a ten or twenty thousand dollar turntable sitting there collecting dust, and they don't use it because it wasn't set up right and it doesn't sound great, mm. and they're still frustrated. And you, you, at that point, our industry has lost that customer forever. So. Yeah, right. I mean, yes, that's, I think that's right. I think I don't think the industry is very honest about the sound quality of turntables, especially at the low end. I mean, yeah. <laughs> somebody's that's michael fremer phoning you <laughs> yeah right he hears us already he knows he's everywhere he's ubiquitous um well and again it doesn't mean you know he and i really got into that once and i just said dude come on i said come on you know better than anybody it's like you you go some buy some shit turntable and some crappy records at at goodwill a thrift shop type thing and, and you know and the thing is one time out of a hundred you do luck out. Yeah. You know, it's very friend, rare. Though, Jeff. Very rare. Yeah. It's pretty rare because, because now because of eBay, because of everything, because of, because of vinyls popularity, it's almost like we've been our own worst enemy. Yeah, there are, there are no mean, bargains left anymore because everyone's no, looking, no, at, the, no, no, they're I looking mean, at pricing on discounts all the time. They go, that's the price. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to Mr. Frampton, but Everybody who's got a shitty copy of Frampton Comes Alive wants thirty dollars for it now. Yeah, it's that's not right. I mean, you well, know, it's and, it's supply and demand. I get it. That's fine, but that I mean, that what it's worth to you might not be what it's worth to me. It's but it's worth that to somebody, exactly. I guess. Really, so especially the unsuspecting customer. But I, I will add though that even though my Technics turntable with the Audifon car and you know that's that's set up there, and I'm looking at it right now on my on my rack. Um, even though I don't, it doesn't wow me over and above my DAX in terms of sound quality. I love buying records. I love playing records. I love the exactly. whole thing. I really, I still get a lot out of it. It doesn't collect dust. I still use it. And for me, it, it kind of looks cool as well. I mean, I guess if I didn't have. Oh, it's it, totally yeah, cool. It I mean, it's cool. totally cool. I mean, here's a, you'll see this in the new issue of Tone that's coming out. Yeah. I did a piece and I said, you know, Get yourself, and here's what you might think about for your techniques. Mm -hmm. I said, get yourself a party turntable, okay, mm -hmm. with a really inexpensive cartridge on it. Get a small crate or box or whatever or stack on your shelf that you put 20 or 30 inexpensive records that you think your friends might like. Mm -hmm. And when they come over for drinks, let them play records. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that group of records... And that turntable in, and tone arm and cartridge, you know, for me, it used to be those Shure M44s because a stylus was about 10 bucks, but now Shure's gone. So you mm. can't do that anymore. But there's there's other things. And I said, just let your friends have the tactile experience of playing some records and, yeah. and nothing bad can happen and nothing can get broken. And that's kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I've, got, I've got a Pioneer PLX 500 set in my 
um, storage area behind me. And yeah, that I, 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 I mean, if people wanted to abuse it, I wouldn't care so much. I mean, it was only a couple of hundred. Right. I, I don't want to be right. blasé about that's, money, I but think like, that's, yeah. that's a hard part to entry. Like a, a really good turntable to me is like an expensive sports car. Okay. Mm. You're not just going to hand anybody the keys to your Porsche GT3 and say, yeah, go take it for a spin, you know? <laughs> no way. And so that's hard with the record player. You know, you've got that, you've got that 10 or 20 or $30,000 turntable sitting there with a Koetsu on it. You're not going to go, yeah, go spin some records, live it up, you know? But if, if you send somebody over to that techniques with a, with a relatively um, indestructible cartridge on it, everybody has fun. Nobody gets hurt. Mm. So it's, you know, it, it, again, it, it, what it really, really goes back to it for me is that everybody gets their joy in a different spot. And if, and, and again, if you're, if you're enjoying it, it's cool. It doesn't, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to conform to anything, mm. you know? So, but I also think being pragmatic about things is very helpful, and I think a lot of audiophiles tend to fall into because of the very nature of the, the the pursuit of better sound. A lot of audiophiles become very idealistic, and that can, that's a good uh, way of putting. And then that like. that bleeds into dogma. So yes. you know, like so they 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 they, they start out <laughs> as an idealist, or they become an idealist, and then yes. once they reach that point, they think that they have found the answer. And they want yeah. to tell everybody else that they have found the answer, not only because that is the answer, but because they discovered it. And yes. then that's where the trouble starts because then they try and push those ideas on other people, whether those people want those ideas or not. And that's when you kind of get into this push and shove. I mean, it's very easy to get into push and shove on the internet, but I think even generally outside of the internet. Oh yeah, you know? totally. And well, I, you know what? I have to, on that note, I have to give acknowledgement to my really good friend, Paul DeMera from Canada, from Vancouver, BC. Paul is one of the most enthusiastic audio guys I've ever met. And he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Mm. And Paul made, when we were hanging out about a month or two ago, Paul made the what I feel was the perfect observation. He said, people don't want you to agree with them. They want to hear their words coming out of your mouth oh, <laughs> and pointing oh, to what you just said. I, I, I couldn't agree with right. you and Paul more. You'd like Paul. He's very tall. Right. So, okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, there's also, I mean, Frank Schroeder, who's the, the, um, the tone arm manufacturing right. specialist, he lives just down the road from me here in Berlin. I don't see him so often, but he's a super, cool. super, super nice guy. And I know in, turn, nice. in turntable circles, he's very well known. But he is the he's the opposite of dogmatic about his stuff. He's like, well, this is what I do, and this is why I'm good at it, and this is why people, you know, buy my stuff, and I enjoy it, and that's it. And he's not he's not on a he's not on a mission to spread the word or, you know, it's like like a Bible basher, like you know, please come to church. Yeah, you don't have to evangelize this. It'll find its way. It it always did. Yes, that's right. It does. I mean, it's like cassettes. No one's evangelizing for cassettes, and they're they're. They're finding their way back, right? There's no, there's no website, I like that. That's right? Do you know very what I mean? Well there's no one, you know, running a website about how cassettes were misunderstood. I think everybody generally accepts that they are shit. Well, the sound quality is not great, but the people are buying them. Don't even think like that. That is like it's a physical format. I want it because I want to have it because you don't have it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of move the conversation back to streaming because okay. there's a lot that no there's not a lot there's some hostility that i see in the audiophile world towards 
lossy streaming towards Spotify. Well, Spotify, I guess, is the, the best example of this because people know that it's lossy, right? They go, oh, there's no way I would like soil my hi-fi system with a, a 320 kilobit per second OG Vorbis file. They don't say that because they don't even know it's an OG Vorbis file. They, they talk about it's MP3 rubbish, right? And I just think, right. <laughs> what are you talking oh, yeah. about? There's a, but there's a lot of that that goes, you know, I understand that, that some people have like standards that like, well, I'm not going to listen to anything beneath this. And given that Tidal Hi-Fi exists and Kobo's Hi-Fi and Deezer Hi-Fi all have these CD quality tiers, I guess these guys can just live at that level. But and I think but they just... have twenty eight. They have twenty eight Jacintha records. You know, um, so <laughs> don't even know who that is. But <laughs> see, good, good. Wait, you, don't wanna <laughs> no, but... you don't want to know. No, you don't want to know. No, just right. no, you don't want to know. And but but no, I mean, dude, I, again. I look at low to medium res streaming mm. as that's recon mode. Definitely. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm just, it, that's the radio, okay? Yeah. We used to, in my day, you had an FM tuner. You didn't not listen to music because it was on FM. That's where you discovered new music right. on the radio, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so Spotify is like the radio, except it's cooler and it has more stuff. And it goes everywhere and, with you. Because you can, t- I mean, how do you find new music? You know, so it, it, it's like, so Spotify is playing in the background or whatever. It's like, oh, wow, that's cool. Okay, I'll write that down or whatever, and I'll see if I can get that in a format I like. That that's all that is for me. It's it's just a way to discover more music. It doesn't. Everything doesn't have to always sound super awesome all the time. I, I absolutely you know? agree. Yeah, I mean, especially as you know, if we try, if you're trying to ev- ev- like use this word evangelize again, trying to convince your buddies to invest in a better hi-fi system, the last thing they want to hear is that their Spotify is somehow beneath the you know the audiophile community, which is terrible. Yeah, you just lost your you just lost your newest audio buddy because you just told him what he has is crap. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to get people on the ship. Plus the fact that buying a new pair of speakers or a better amp will have a more profound effect on that. You know, newcomer and in terms of sound quality than any sort of upgrade or downgrade in streaming quality would ever have. I mean, you have to have a certain standard of hardware, certain caliber of hardware before the difference between Spotify and say Tidal Hi-Fi becomes readily apparent. Oh, sure, right? sure. And, and, and again, everybody's different. I mean, my experience over all the years I've been excited about this stuff mm is it's a couple percent you know people will buy some kind of means of delivering music to their environment and then at a certain point a a small percentage of them go hey i'm really enjoying this how can i make it sound a little better Mm. and at that point they either call you or they call me or they call a friend or they go to a dealer and they get a really positive experience and they might take it to the next level or if they get a crappy experience, it stops there. And it's I, to me, it's that easy. You know, mm. um, I, I I give people enough credit for being intelligent that, you know, they're either going to go, hey, you know, I'm really into this and I'd like to get a little bit further into it. I mean, as it is with anything, with cars, with motorcycles, with bicycles, with cameras, with alcohol. Well, and I think it's exhausting to take everything to that level. And mm. sometimes, you know what, it's, it's like, you know, it's like I, I, I ran into somebody once and he said, you know, you're crazy about hi-fi and you're crazy about cars. He goes, I don't think about any of that stuff. And I said, you know, on one level, 
you're lucky. I said, you can just play a piece of music on your iPhone and you're happy. Mm -hmm. I said, you can just get in your Camry and drive away and you're happy. And there's no shame in that. I said, you know, you're not, you're not sitting in bed at night going, oh my God, what wheels, what tires, what shocks, what springs, what chip, what exhaust? He's like, no, I never think about stuff like that. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and that's okay too. That's, that's, you know, if, if that, if that gets you closer to enjoying everything. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I would probably like if, I mean, when my friends ask me what I should buy, I would really love to recommend the uh, Kef LS50 wireless to them because I think that's probably the, the number one catch all solution that does that allows them to grow because it does Bluetooth, it does Spotify connects, and then there's also lots of streaming through Tidal and Rune or through, through those, that one hi-fi system, because it is a system and they can just pick and choose how they access it. And it's super simple to set up. And, but the thing is it's two grand and two grand for high-end audio enthusiasts is probably not very much, but to, to most people, but it's a really it's nice, amazing. it's a, it's a, it's a great high-end audio kids meal. It is you know, it's it really absolutely. Well, I think it's more than a kid's meal. I think it's yeah. for most people that would be, uh, I don't know, like a lifetime supply of subway. <laughs> giveaway for, for this um, this month's podcast comes from our friends at AudioQuest. They are happy to give a Beetle DAC to one listener of this podcast who is based in the USA. And to win this, all you have to do is go and rate this podcast on iTunes, nowhere else please, on iTunes. Rate, okay. it, rate it and leave a, leave a comment, leave a review. And then you and I, Jeff, will pick the best review or the most eloquent or the most enthusiastic. Or the snarkiest. Or the snarkiest review of this podcast on iTunes. And you have to be a U.S. resident and not Alaska either or Hawaii. You have to be a U.S. resident to qualify. And all you have to do is leave a review and a rating on the iTunes store of this podcast, please. And that's to win an AudioQuest Beetle DAC. And they'll ship it direct from California to whoever we, we nominate from there. Okay, cool. Um, well, that sounds like fun. Anyway, so it's it, I guess it's nice to end a podcast with a giveaway from our friends at AudioQuest. So we thank them for that. Um, yes. And basically that competition will run until the next episode of this podcast goes up probably in the middle of September sometime next, yeah, next month. So you, you've got about two or three weeks. You have been listening to the Darko Audio Podcast with me, John Darko, and Tone Audio's Jeff Dorgay. <laughs>